Welcome to Saints Cast, a football podcast brought to you by Southam United. Join us for an in-depth look into club, league, supporters, and everything you want to know on and off the pitch. We're getting the information straight from those who know it best. This week on the podcast, we're getting right to it and sitting down with the captain himself, Brandon Hallmark. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you for having me. Good evening. This episode is going to be a little bit unique in the fact that not only are you a guest this week, but going forward, you're actually going to help me co-host while we have other yeah. guests, obviously your teammates, people you know from playing at Southam on the show. Um, and obviously also kind of unique in the fact that your family <laughs> were cousins. So this is actually going to be a really fun experience to get to do together. So let's get started. Let's go. Um, today, it's all about you. We're going to talk kind of through different aspects of your playing career a bit. Um, but first, let, there's kind of a reason that this co-hosting setup is going to work well for you at the moment. Uh, because you're you're not going to be on the pitch in the same way that I'm sure you wish you could be. Uh, obviously, you had an injury. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us kind of what the last few months have looked like in regards to your knee. So kind of um, very fortunately, I was able to go private for my treatment. The NHS waiting list was about two to three years, and there was no chance I wasn't playing football for that long. So um, I actually picked the injury up in summer last year playing against Long Bookby. The, um, the ground was a bit wet. Um, and my knee got stuck as I turned. And I'd had this similar injury before in my right knee. So I pretty much knew exactly what it was straight away. Um, it swelled right up. It felt really stiff. Um, and pretty much knew what it was straight away. So I went to the doctors just to get that confirmed. Um, they said exactly what I thought it was. It was a torn meniscus, which I'd had before in the other knee. Um, looked online, had it paid for, went and got it looked at. And um, between first op- first appointment and operation, it was about two months. So that was really good. Went straight in. Wow. Um, met my surgeon and everything. He was fantastic. Um, had my treatment five days before my 24th birthday, 15th of February. Um, it went really well. Spoke to the surgeon afterwards. He's happy with how it's gone. Um, it's still a bit swollen. It's sore. I can't do anything yet. Um, just really excited to get back playing and training at least in a couple of weeks with everybody. Yeah. Was it? Was there kind of a, a good timing aspect to this in the fact that Obviously, you guys were playing um, and had your last match November 4th, and then we went back into, you know, we had a little bit of time at Christmas, but we've pretty much been in a lockdown situation since then. Was that kind of good timing for oh, you as far as that's 100%. concerned? Yeah, it's been absolutely perfect. So obviously, since November 4th, I was playing probably seven or eight games carrying an injury, which isn't ideal. Um, but actually, since our last game, I haven't missed a single kick of football despite having an operation, despite not doing anything for nearly 12 weeks, which is absolutely ideal. Um, fortunately, I'll be just as unfit as everybody else when we get back to pre-season <laughs> in the summer, so hopefully I won't be too far behind everyone, even though they're going to be back training in about 10 days, so I've got a bit of catch-up to play when I'm allowed back in yeah. probably about six weeks' time. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you said that this was something that you've dealt with before on the mm-hmm. other, other knee. What kind of what's the comparison? I mean, was it the same kind of, do you feel like it was the same intensity of injury and also like same recovery process? Um, no, I think this one's definitely worse. I actually got printed out copies of like my MRI report and everything this time, which isn't something I had access to before. Um, there was a lot more damage in this time, a lot more cartilage that was, that was removed and a lot more things that, would, that had strained and there was a bit of arthritis and things, which wasn't ideal. But... I think this time I've had much more access to, to good physio. I've got a guy called Shiz Govind who looks after me really well. Um, shout out to CG Therapy Studios. Um, and they really look after me. I've had some really good rehab. And I think so far, um, recovery's gone a lot faster than planned. Originally, people were saying numbers like eight to nine months, which horrified me. Wow. Um, I think that's very quickly turning into kind of 10, 12 weeks. So that's much, much better and much better news for me. 
Amazing. So hopefully back on the pitch yeah. really soon. See you in the summer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. Uh, as far as kind of being away from, you know, I know you're de dealing with the injury and things, but away from the pitch, kind of what else have, have you been up to during lockdown and kind of since November? It's actually been a really crazy time. So lockdown's been about a year. In that space of time, we've, me and my partner Sophie, we've bought our first house. We've done that in rugby. We're both really happy with that. We spend a lot of our time and hard-earned money doing that up. Um, we also recently bought our little French bulldog, Hugo, who is the kind of love of our life. And um, he's been a real perfect companion to me. I've not been able to do anything. Yeah. Um, the most exercise I can do is go for a walk. So Sophie and I go and do that every evening. We take him to the park. And that's it's been really a big part of my rehab and keeping me sane. And that's been really great. So it's been good. Good, good. Um, all right, so let's kind of get into the football side of things. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you're you're at Southam now, but there's a lot of, you know, experience and and. Um, a kind of a journey that, that happened before you got to Southam. Um, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit, but kind of just to start it off, what's your earliest memory of, of playing football? The earliest memory of playing football is when I played for a team called Bilton Ajax in rugby. I remember it because we had a really vibrant kit. It was red and white stripes. Um, my dad, John, was always at games, took me to everything. Um, we played in cup finals where we sprayed our hair red. Um, <laughs> nice. It was all like that's probably my earliest football memory. I had a, blur, a, a blue pair of football boots that my dad never said I could have worn. <laughs> he was so strict. I only ever wore black boots. Really? Yeah. Even now, you'll only really ever see me wear black boots. Or if oh, I okay. if I dared to wear coloured ones, that was definitely on my own will. My dad would never have allowed that. Um, <laughs> earliest memory definitely has to be all of us getting ready for that cup final over at Central Ajax, and we all sprayed our hair red, and we actually lost that cup final, I think. But. I remember that so well. I, remember, I, I unfortunately don't see any of those players anymore, but unbelievable first memory of football. That was good fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. Why, why only black boots? Just it was, It's a very old-fashioned thing, I think, in the football community, kind of, especially in the UK. If you're a young player and you don't want to be all brash and show off, then you wear black boots until you've earned the right oh, I to see. wear funky pink and yellow boots and stuff okay. like that. Which a lot of, like, that's mm -hmm. quite a thing to do now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, okay. Um, okay, so so after built after Bilton, kind of, well, how long were you there? I was there from probably six to about fourteen until like, yeah until secondary school age. Okay. Um, I think that then progressed on to Rugby Town Juniors. We played on Saturdays, and that was quite a good standard in the MJPL, um, which is the Midland Junior Premier League. And I think it still exists. It's always been a good standard. It always taught you to kind of keep the ball on the deck, play attractive football. It's all about passing and moving, and that's probably where I learned a lot about how I play as a centre back now. Um, a guy called Simon Williams was a really good manager. Um, again, Dad was always a big part of that. He was always at games, always the loudest voice on the touchline, screaming, shouting at me, telling me what to do. Um, but that that came after Bill, and, and then the natural progression for that was the Rugby Town youth team, and that was when I probably started properly making my kind of trade as a centre back. Um, really enjoyed it there. Again, it was all about playing a good, attractive football against kind of semi academy sides, and that was really good fun. Did you kind of so I know that. At that point, um, just kind of from conversations that we've had, you you had some some trials with with other clubs. Mm -hmm. um, kind of was there a, a lot of hype around that? Did you feel that, or was that kind of an exciting time? Or is, is there kind of a lot of pressure on young footballers when it comes to that level of of, of those yeah. types of experiences? I think there's more pressure in keeping it quiet. So hmm. I think the, the excitement was very much kept within the household. Me and Dab were really excited about it. But obviously you worry about jinxing things, you worry about people hearing and, and potentially ruining it for you and getting in your head, and making comments you don't want to hear. At the time, I was I was playing, I was having trials with teams like Leicester, um, West Ham were interested, it was really, really exciting. But I think 
coming from the background that I had, dad always made sure that I was unbelievably grounded and nothing ever went to my head. And I think there's something like that that still stands with me today. And I think that's why um, I'm happy playing at the standard I am, but we're always trying to push forwards. And I think that's something that's always been really part of, part of my football career. Yeah. At that age and when those kind of experiences are happening, do you kind of, are you kind of aware of the fact that you're being watched? Yeah, I think naturally when you're put in a trial kind of like situation, you very much feel in a goldfish bowl. Mm. You very much are on display. It's an exhibition of football and what you're about. And ultimately, you know, you're not there to make friends, but at the same time, you've got to produce a really good game of football with 10 of the players that you've never met before. And that is actually a wicked thing to be a part of. Um, you get to play at some really cool grounds. We played at the King Power. That was really good fun. Definitely wow. the best pitch we ever played on. Yeah. And, you know, it's a really good experience. And, and obviously it didn't pay off for me, but 100% it's something that you learn so much from in terms of being grounded and, you know, realising that you're not the best footballer in the world. And that rejection is good for you, I think, in the end. And was that kind of the point where you realised that, like football was was going to be it like that's what you wanted to push for that was something that was going to be a part of your life for a long time yeah I think, well I think that was very much part of me since I was playing football at seven eight years old football so even earlier on you kind of realized yeah. I lived and dreamed it I I, I I didn't drink alcohol till I was 18 I wasn't big on house parties because I went to bed early and I knew my dad would batter me if I went out <laughs> no he didn't really but um, it, my upbringing was quite strict um football was very much priority one and I very much took it that way if I wasn't playing football, I was out running, staying fit. Um, I, I didn't go to the gym till quite late on, but I wish I had. I was very skinny as a teenager. I'm not anymore. Um, Do you think that had some effect on kind of where your footballing career went? Because I've heard, you know, that is something that is absolutely looked at and it's yeah. quite important for you to, because as especially in your position, mm -hmm. you know, size is, yeah. is quite a big part of it. I think in, in the modern age, they very much look for athletes and then to make them into footballers. But I was wasn't blessed with a very strong build. I was really skinny as a teenager and I was a bit of a late bloomer in terms of kind of adult development. So that didn't help me and certainly led to a few doctor's appointments to make sure I wasn't too far behind. Hmm. Um, I'm now blessed with a big ginger beard um, <laughs> and a belly of a dad with three kids. But, um, <laughs> so it's all come in yeah, is what you're all, saying. <laughs> it's all arrived eventually, but I was certainly a bit tall and gangly yeah. um, at 15, 16, which wasn't the most helpful thing ever. Um, and I was never particularly blessed with pace, but luckily I've always had a, a kind of an ability to read the game and that's always helped me out. I think that's ultimately led to my captaincies. Wow. So from that point, is that when you went to, to Wellingborough? Is, Let me think. Or was there... So that, that comes after Rugby Town Youth. So okay. Wellingborough Whitworth to play in the UCL. Okay. That all came as a result of um, basically a rejection from West Ham. So okay. they had a contact, a man called Ian Archer, who was absolutely massive in my kind of adult football life, still is. Um, they had a contact. He was he was working for a team called, Nor well, a team Norwich at the time, um, but he also oversaw Wellingborough over in Northampton. Um, and I played for their under-18s team and also their men's team, which was a really good experience. The, um, the, youth, the youth side was probably the most successful football team I've ever been part of and it was an awesome experience we won the league and what's called the champions final all in the same year so that's when you win the league and you play the winners of the league of the eastern division okay. and we won that in what is probably the best game of football I've ever played in other people say the same it still gets talked about today um, wow. played probably one of the best strikers I've ever met in a guy called Taylor Oroz um, unbelievably fast really really good player um, very much like Levi who plays for us now actually they're very similar players but 
unbelievable experience, unbelievable team, and, and, and days that I look back on really fondly. Amazing. Uh, and then from that point, you kind of, that's, that's when you went to county? Yeah, well, that kind of happens at the same time. Okay. So a county representation team is kind of, it's a, it's a, a basket, I suppose, of hand-picked good players from across Northamptonshire County, who obviously I had to play for because that's where Wellingborough is based. Okay. Um, not from Northamptonshire, but you're still allowed to play with them if you're affiliated with the team. Okay. So they picked a, a lot of our team was from the Whitworth side because we were dominating the league. Um, there was a few lads, for example, Danny Powell, who played for Bookbrook. He's an awesome mate of mine still. Um, he played for us and we, we had an absolute beast of a team, but the fixtures are really rare. You probably only play three or four times a year, but that was the that really gives you a taste of professional football. You arrive on it and you, you have to wear a suit that they give you and you know you get on a coach and it's really cool. Everything you get there, like the physios, um, even things like warm-up gear you get, it really gave you a taste of professional football. You only play at cool, like really good grounds, really good pitches, um, really good experience to be part of. I, I really enjoyed it. That must be a huge kind of learning experience for someone at that age who knows that football is, that's that's what they want to do. Um, that must be, that kind of professionalism mm -hmm. must be huge. Yeah, I think it's important as well because it's really easy to get sucked into the world of, of being a joker at football and being a clown and turning up and messing around. But that really teaches you that actually sometimes you need to be disciplined as well. And, and, and for people to take you seriously, you need to act seriously as well. So we did turn up in our nice suits. We did finish mucking about when we got off the pit, off the bus on the way to games. And you know what, that's, that teaches you something that I don't think ever leaves you. And I think that kind of professionalism is something that we're trying to get in at, at Salvum at the same time as having a great crack and a great social. Can we take professionalism for, for people in high leagues to actually start taking it seriously and realise who we are and what we're about? Yeah, that's, that's a huge part of it, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's such a, you know, there's so many things you can do as a team to just, you know, to... And no matter what budgets are, no matter, you know, where, where players are at in their careers, things like that, where, where you play, maybe the fact, if you, if you can, you know, put that professionalism up multiple levels, mm -hmm. that that's just something that you can do no matter, no matter what, what other factors that you're dealing with. And it, it can, you know, I'm sure that makes you kind of hold yourself different on the pitch. And I'm sure it makes supporters look, you know, at the club differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. Uh, so around that time, you also had you know, I, I know you haven't had too many injuries and in, in the discussions that we've had, you've you, you said, you know, you've been pretty lucky. I know you're dealing with one now, but kind of back at that time that you're talking about around 15 years old, you had a pretty big injury. Tell yeah, me about that. So I had a, a tibia fracture at the bo very bottom of my right leg. And um, this happened while you were playing. Yeah, this happened during a game. I was playing left back for Rugby Town and the guy who did it actually told me about five minutes before that he was going to do it to me. He said, I'm going to break your effing no legs. Way. Yeah. Um, so that went down really well as a 15 year old. Um, it's probably, looking back, probably the peak of my playing football. I was probably the best I ever, I ever have been at probably wow. 15, 16. It couldn't probably have come at a worse time. I don't think it's the reason I haven't gone any further. I think okay. that's genuinely just because I'm not good enough and I'm absolutely fine to admit that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it came at a really bad time. It was a really bad break. Um, they actually said, because the ground was so boggy, that I had to get air ambulance down. So uh, the helicopter came to get me. Um, they later said that if I was to travel by a land ambulance, that it could have internally dislodged my foot from my ankle, which wouldn't have been fun. Oh my um, So now I have two screws still in my leg, just to remind me, um, and a big scar, you know, as a reminder to not put the ball through wingers' legs <laughs> and laugh at them. So there's that. Um, but I'm really fortunate. I've, I had a really supportive fan base around me. With, is it, I, I'm very fortunate to have two dads that really care a lot about me, conveniently both called John. 
Um, so shout out to them. Mum was always there as well for me. But yeah, my dad's always played a massive part in always maintaining a positive mindset and to not sit and mope around and to actually just put, make the most of a bad situation and get on with it. Because at that age, that must be, obviously it's a physical injury, mm -hmm. but at that age specifically, when you're, you know, you're kind of at the point that you're at and you're, you're having interest and, and, you know, clubs are talking to you. Mm -hmm. That must have been such a mental injury as well. I think it was, but it, it was something that I, I buried and, and something that I'm quite fortunate to be good at doing. If, if things do get quite stressful for me and, di and things do get difficult, I do bury them quite well. Mm -hmm. um, it came at a really tough time because it was actually probably about two months before I sat my GCSE exams. Yeah. I remember quite well sitting all of, pretty much all of my GCSEs in tracksuits and on crutches with a big cast on, um, right in the winter, freezing cold, oh, which gosh. wasn't helpful. Um, but it was good. I, I, it was mental and, and something I haven't really reflected on. Something that I've never really brought up. Um, but something I just reflect on as part of my yeah. career. It's just what happened. So you don't have any like lingering, any no. issues from that? Yeah. Other than when it's really cold, the screws get cold. Really? Yeah, that's not comfortable. That but must feel strange. It's just like a delay. But it's not the end of the world. It doesn't affect how I play. It doesn't affect how I run. Were you were you walking pretty soon after that? Like, were you in a plaster for a really long time, or or because you had surgery, it, it wasn't so long? Because oh, I, yeah. when I was younger, I was skateboarding and broke my leg, tibia and fibula. Yeah, both of them at the same time. I was in a plaster from from January until June, and it would took forever. But oh, no I didn't way. have surgery, so oh, okay. so did you? Were you able to kind of get up from that quite like yeah, a bit I quicker? I was in the cast for about eight weeks, okay, maybe ten weeks. I got it off the day before my birthday. And, and I think I did the injury the start of January. So that's... That's still a long time. Eight, eight weeks. weeks is still quite a while. Yeah. So you, like, you're good on crutches then. Yeah, I've you know, crutches. You know your way around a yeah. pair of crutches. I soon get rid of them every time though because they write your hands off. Yeah, um, they're terrible. And I, I found, like, under my arms, I'll get... Oh, yeah, we don't, we don't so have painful. those ones here, remember? Ah, okay. I was going over the elbows. Oh, and yeah. They, and, yeah, okay. Yeah, they're right. old school. Okay. So I want to talk about, you know... Because you've you've had quite a bit of success as as far as you know in your in your youth career, um, won some trophies and, mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Um, do you do you have matches that you still think about? Because I know you said that 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 one match that was kind of final, that yeah, was the yeah. best one. Do you do you still have matches that you look back and they still kind of like give you goosebumps or like those were the the good moments? That was the that yeah. was a good time. I think I think that game sticks in the mind because we had absolutely no right to win it. We were two 0 down at half time and with about probably three minutes to go, we were still drawing two all. So we brought it back and we just did not look like winning the game. We didn't look like scoring. To say we didn't deserve to win it would be an understatement. We were probably getting battered at the time. I can't really remember because it was all a bit bit of an experience to be honest. <laughs> um, but it was so good. My dad talks about it now and every time I speak to Ian Archer over in Northampton, he talks about it. Um, it was just such a big game. There were loads of fans there. It's probably one of the most attended games I've ever played at. And it was just such a good atmosphere, such a good game. And for that reason, I think I'll always remember it. It was also a really random game that I remember playing as about 14, 15-year-old over in one of the um, Bedworth Oval finals that we played at as Rugby Town Juniors, where we were playing a team called St. Nicholas Colts. And they were probably one of the most angry, violent, disgusting football teams I've probably ever met. Oh, no. And um, there was a bit of a brawl on the pitch, and that was good fun. Um, that, this was the same match? Yeah, no, this is a different match. Oh, okay, okay. So okay. this was over at the Bedworth Oval in, over in, in Eton and it was it was a horrendous game of football. Another one that we lost, I think we played about five finals at the Bedworth Oval and never won one. Oh, no. um, so it's a bit of a cursed place for me. I hope we don't play there yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's kind of talk a little bit about, because I know that this is something that has been part of your career a lot and, and obviously still is, but let's talk about 
kind of captaincy and, and okay. leadership and, and things like that. Um, of those teams that you played for, mm-hmm. how many of them were you were you captain? So first ever club I captain was built in Ajax as a kid. Okay. Um, that was fun. Didn't really mean much at the time. I think they just have to give the armband to somebody just to do kickoff. Yeah. Um, that was cool. Um, there's photos of that still there. Cute. <laughs> I look a lot different <laughs> back then. Um, I was captain of... I wasn't captain of Rugby Town Youth. I was uh, of the juniors. I was captain of the youth team up at Butlin Road. That was a really cool experience. I was captain of the Whitworth Under 18 team that won that cup final. And I was captain of Northamptonshire County, as well as now at Southam. Wow. So where do you think, because obviously you're selected for a reason. Mm-hmm. What do you think those reasons are? Like, like, why do you think that that has, has been part of, you know, your career thus far at a lot of different teams, obviously. So there's a lot of, obviously multiple people who think that that's the position that you should be in. Well, kind of where, where do you think those qualities come from and, and, and what do you think they are? I think funnily, a lot of the reasons why I've been asked to be captain of some of these teams is, is not an awful lot to do with my ability to play football. I think it's a lot more to, to do with how I manage people, how I communicate with people and actually how I can manage to bring a team together both on and off a football pitch. And I've always been very fortunate that people around me have seen that, spotted that um, and helped me grow as a player myself. And I think that's probably why I'm still given positions like that now. Yeah, absolutely. Are there are there players that you've that you've watched, or or may, maybe managers that you've played for, um, or or players that you have played with that kind of are examples of you know the type of leader that you want to be, or kind of maybe that that's what's built that in you? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to play with I played with Roddy once, but I used to absolutely idolise him in training. A guy called Robbie Banks, who's still a massive football coach um, locally, is an awesome leader, um, just a really good bloke, and I think I always wanted to be a little bit like that. Um, but 99% of the credit of how I've turned out as a footballer has to go to my dad, John. He, he honestly taught me everything I know about how to play football. Um, taught me that football is much more than what's in your feet. It's what's in your head and how you communicate with people. And I think 99% of my game and role as a, as a captain on the football pitch is, is communicating with people. A, a team like Southam where we don't have to do loads of defending. I don't touch the ball lots other than when I'm heading it away and kicking <laughs> it away. But... Um, I think my I was always a loud footballer. I think that was something that was always bred into me because my pace was never going to get me noticed. You know, I've never been the most technical footballer in the world, although I'm not useless on football. Um, my voice was always the thing that got me noticed. And I think that was why I've always had the armband, to be honest. Yeah. So obviously being a leader, being a captain on the field, you're kind of, you know, captain week in, week out. Uh, how important do you think consistency is specifically your consistency of how you're playing how you're you know the the level that you're at for each match kind of the hype that you have going into all, all those kind of different factors how, how important do you think that consistency is for everybody who's kind of the players watching you on the pitch I mean I think because of the level we play at it's not the highest level ever I think I can get away with probably not being a perfect captain which I'm certainly not um but it definitely uh, if you're different people on the pitch your players don't know what to get from you so I certainly have to show a level of consistency if, if lads need to talk to me about anything. Um, we live in an age now where there's more to life than football. Um, mental health is something that's always talked about. It's something I want to affiliate with the football club, definitely. Um, I do want to be in a position where I feel like all the lads can talk to me. Now, if I'm acting like a clown and I'm inapproachable and, and people don't feel like they can talk to me about football, about life or anything, that's something that I'm concerned about if they're not in a position where they can do that. Um, 
on a personal level, I'm only 24 years old and I'm definitely still learning. I'm definitely still a young captain and, and I'm constantly picking up parts of trades and parts of things that I want in my game. And I definitely learn about things that actually I want to get rid of. I'm far too verbally aggressive on a football pitch towards like, officials, towards my own teammates a lot of time. <laughs> Um, me and Kyle fall out of training every week. Um, but actually, he's one hell of a player and he knows that I think that of him. Um, and maybe praising my players is definitely something that needs to improve in my game. Definitely. So you kind of referred to, you know, the way you are on the pitch, kind of that, a little bit of that aggression. Do you think that that's kind of like, do you think that's an important part of leadership? Like kind of setting that level for the team when you go out and just saying like, hey, we're going to play this way. This and, and I'm going to show it. Yeah, I think, I think the position we're in at South, and we've very much got a target on our backs. We're very much the team to chase, and we very much end up in a corner. So if I go out there and I'm up for it and I'm 100%, I would very much hope that the team mirror that. And I'm very fortunate to be part of a team that do give 100%, and we and we are a team that graft. We don't think that we're going to breeze games. Um, and given the nature of the league and the fact that every team wants to come to South and beat us, if I come and I'm, I'm winning every header and I'm clearing balls and I'm making big tackles, it is, it is a contagion. It does run through the team and I think that's something that's really important and that, and that starts from the second we go out and have a look at the pitch when we get there at seven and absolutely continues when we kick off yeah. and, and that's something that I really want to be part of Southam um, and something that goes forward without it obviously becoming mouthy towards referees and stuff. Sure. I, I think probably a lot of that physicality also comes from your the position that you play. 100%, yeah. So as a, as a defender, if you're not authoritative, if you're not putting your stamp on the game in your way, that team's going to feel like they can get one over you and, and score. And and I know me and Coxie both feel this way. We take it personally if someone shoots at our goal. If someone scores <laughs> at us, we are taking that personally. We're not happy about it. We kick and scream about it. We shout at each other. Coxie's probably replaced the goalposts at Southam about six times because he boots them every time someone scores. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you don't have that aggression, it, almost in my opinion, you you don't care. And and. Absolutely, in my in my perspective, I'm only like that because that 90 minutes is, is what I get up for that week. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm here for. Absolutely. Speaking of the position, um, obviously you play in defense right now. Have you always been a defensive player? Uh, apparently, no. I don't remember this, but apparently when I played for Ajax as a young kid, I played left wing, which okay. having looked at me now is absolutely absurd because I'm <laughs> not very fast. Um, but as a kid, I was probably a bit more sprightly, a bit nimbler and a bit quicker. Um, but I was blessed to be left-footed and that is still something that I'm grateful to be. Yeah. Um, I am very much a both-footed player, but I would never take a penny with my right foot, so I'd call myself left-foot. Yeah. Um, yeah, So, but I always kind of wanted to be the hero, I think, so naturally I gravitated back and back towards defence. My dad was a goalkeeper, um, never really fancied that, although I am our second keeper at Southern. <laughs> um, I do like, yeah, I like being here. I like making the big tackles and the headers and stuff. So that's why I ended up at centre back. So if something happened, if there was, you know, a red card or an injury, like you would yeah, go Yeah, that's my shirt. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I've never had to do it. Um, we do it in training, little practice every now and then, but hopefully Coxie keeps his head and stays yeah. in because he's one hell of a goalie. Very interesting. Um, something that I want to just go back to, we're going to talk about Southam in a minute, um, but something I want to go back to really quick is that you spent some time in China, mm -hmm. um, which sounds to me like such a cool experience. Yeah, um, how did that happen? Like what, what, you know, what was that experience like and how did it happen? So I did, I did a football scholarship, um, apprenticeship type thing with Kettering Town, um, when I left sixth form and that was effectively like, um, a coaching course alongside you play football on a Wednesday afternoon and stuff. You play football every day. Um, and that was a really cool experience. And they eventually partnered 
um, with a project that still runs today called Future Lions, um, which was a, a football software that created training sessions for any, for any standard of football coach that they could just deliver. And that was a really cool thing that they wanted me to be a part of. Um, so they sent us over to a place called Shanto in the southeast of China. Um, it was really good fun. I was there for a couple of months um, with a, a couple of lads from the football club and also a man called Wayne Goss. Wayne Goss, who I then didn't talk to for about two years, um, rang me on a whim and said, I'm now the director of football at Southam United. I'd like to come over and have a look. Hmm. So that's basically how I got involved with Southam. Wayne was a really good bloke and, and someone that I befriended with a lot while we were working in China and at, and at Kettering, very respectable pillar of the football community in Oxfordshire still. Um, good bloke. And I trusted him enough and over we went. It was good. China was the most random place ever, though. Um, the food was horrendous. I was going to ask about the food, because uh, I always hear that. Just got the impression that it hadn't been dead for very long. Um, I wasn't a fan of that, but um, the kind of nightclub scene was unbelievable. We, Even though we were absolute nobodies, we were treated like professionals. Um, we went to a game and we were signing autographs, which was absolutely absurd for me. Um, I don't know. I think that was just because we were the first European people they'd ever met. And it's just the strangest experience. But it, it's something I remember really well. It's cool. And it definitely just looks good on the CV. To yeah. Be yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, that's a pretty good segue then into let's let's discuss Southam now. Obviously, the mm-hmm. reason that we're here um, and, and a big part of what you're doing at the moment. Uh, you said it was Wayne Goss who kind of who had you come over and look and... and um, Obviously, you liked something. So tell us about that process of, of you know, checking out the club and, and realizing that was somewhere that you wanted to be. Yeah, I think when I talk about Bobby Hancock's Park in Southam, I think everybody that's been there would join me in saying that it's one hell of a facility to look at and be in, especially for the standard of football that we're playing. And it's, and it's somewhere that deserves to be so much higher at the football pyramid than we are. Um, turn up, the floodlights are on, the change rooms are awesome. That's where I sat down and met with Rich, um, who... Seemed like he had really, really good ideas for the football club. I liked his um, footballing mentality. I liked what what his football brain was like and what kind of football he wanted to play. It suited me as a player. Um, and to be honest, I have a lot to thank him for because he'd never even seen me play before he made me captain of his football club, um, which is either off a really good recommendation from Wayne or he's <laughs> somehow found me on YouTube. Um, but either way, um, from where I'd go, really, that was my plan as soon as I met Rich and as soon as I met Salvam. Um, and actually, as soon as I started the training sessions and met the lads they were awesome really easy to get to know and I think that's massively important in non-league football I've had a lot of experiences where actually going to a new club can be really difficult and it can be really clicky um, and, and people can be really prickly and not very easy to get on with but I think one thing that all of us players had in common coming to Southam is that we were all new so mm, the club okay. was absolutely there was a bit of a renaissance at Southam um, the old team went bust so it was kind of reborn from the ashes if you like a bit like a phoenix um, and and yeah we were all new to the team. We all had something in common and that was we all wanted a bit of a fresh start in football, I think. And that, I still think, brings us together today. We're a very close-knit team, um, although there probably are friendship circles as you get anywhere. But we are a very close team. I'd like to think we'd do anything for each other. I think that comes from the fact that we've all gone to Southam for a bit of a fresh start and a bit of a second chance in football. And I think that there's something really nice about that. I think that's something um, kind of unique to to non-league football in general, because you've got a lot of people who are at different stages of their mm-hmm. career, but that is kind of one of the underlying themes is that we're all here for a reason and we're all choosing to be here. And it sounds like that that's, that's what you encountered at Southam. Yeah, great. Absolutely. Like We've got players that are nearing the end of their career at kind of 29, 30. And we've got players, and a lot of them, that are kind of 16, 17, very much at the start. And I lie somewhere in the middle of that. And I think that's another thing that's made me quite a good 
kind of captain because I've had a bit of both. I'm not young, but I'm not old, but I've had a lot of experience despite my years. So I think that's, that's another reason why they've put me in that role. And I think we're very lucky to have a really good balance of people that ultimately all come from really hardworking backgrounds and, and really different backgrounds. And together, that makes a really good kind of formidable team. Because you have to with non-league football. I mean, it is a, it's, it's a commitment, isn't it? And it's, it, I think there's a lot of underestimating kind of what non-league football is in the sense that obviously you've all got full-time jobs and yeah. you've got a lot of commitments and, and then you've got football as well and trying to make it as professional as you can and, yeah. and, and win, obviously. Well, I feel sorry for anybody in management when they've got people turning up late because, the, I mean, Tom Harris, for example, might be late because he's over in Warwickshire somewhere cutting trees down and he can't make the game and then he turns up and he's shattered and it's something that you, you always have to be on the ball in non-league. There's no organisation really. As much as you want to like trial and practice everything, you're never going to get it perfect. And I think that's something that gives non-league football such character and why it does have such a, a massive fan base and, and, and a massive reason why we're trying to make Southam much more on the map, much more of a team, much more of a thing. Because actually, we are just normal people. We do have nine to fives. Um, we don't think we're anything special, but I tell you what, we don't have to care about playing football. And I think that's what people should come and see and what they want to see from a, from a ground that deserves players like us. Yeah, absolutely. How long have you been at Southam now? Ooh. Well, we obviously had the first season that very nearly didn't finish, that only just didn't finish because of Corona. Yeah. So that would have been 19 to, season 18 to 19. Okay. okay. So that would have been the, st the start of that season. So kind of what, what's the feeling at the club now compared to, to when you started? Is it kind of we've all got the same aims or, you know, it, have things developed since then? I think one word comes to mind and I think everybody would agree with this and that's promotion. We obviously won the league massively, even though it's null and voided. We won by so many points. I think we only lost once against Easington and, and, that, and that's something that has not sat well with the players. Mm. Um, there's a lot of frustration, I think, uh, and underlying things that have, have been going on in the background of the football club that we won't mention. But obviously with Charles Hill no longer being chairman, that should make a lot of people want to come watch Southam. I know that he didn't please a lot of people, um, but we always wanted to know as players and wanted people in Southam to know that we were very much detached from that. We are very much people that just want to play for Southam and enjoy it and actually take the club somewhere. Um, so make sure people know that, please, and come to watch us because we do need your support. Um, but everyone is so excited, I think, to get back. Corona aside, everyone just wants to play football. That's why we all do it. Um, and it's been so long since we've seen each other and been able to do that that I think the feel around the camp would just be so much better when we're just allowed to just do it yeah. um, and, and get promotions that actually we do deserve as a football club. Yeah. I imagine, like you said, there must be a lot of frustration be because of those those two seasons and, and how it's kind of ended the way it has. There's got to be also a feeling of like, well, we've done this now. So when we're given the chance again, we know that we can do it. There is that. And there's also, there's risk of complacency. And there's also a risk that other teams now know what we're about. So yeah. first year was a surprise because they didn't know any of us. Now it's given teams a year or two to figure us out. And that's kind of our detriment, but it is what it is. I think we'll, we've got the staff and the players to overcome that. And I think in the end it'll come through and we'll get the promotions that we deserve. Yeah. Uh, speaking of staff and the players, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've been, around, been around the players a bit. I've been able to do a bit of filming and, and kind of um, some, taking some pictures and things like that. It seems like you got a pretty good squad there like what what's the locker room like you know is it is it just crazy all the times or is it pretty mm -hmm. laid back oh, I think I said to you earlier our change room is the weirdest place ever so um you get there's always the same people that arrive first it's always me Ben Coxie Levi and Ethan or Ellis or whatever 
Um, and so the, the speaker goes on straight away. The music's the loudest thing ever. Change rooms, bounce. We like it to be bouncing. We like it to be energetic. We like it to be exciting. You've got four or five of us that will happily listen to that, throw sliders at each other and whatnot, spray DP and uh, take the mic out of each other for a couple of hours, which is good fun. Um, and then you, we've got another half of our team that are probably a bit more quiet, a bit more subdued and want to focus before a game. So that's cool. We've got a really nice divide like that. But I think, like I mentioned earlier about wanting our mentality to be kind of open change room, nobody needs to feel like they need to kind of conform to anything. Um, we don't make anyone join in anything, um, although it is something I want to improve in the team. But we do have a bit of a diverse change room. We've got people from all different backgrounds, different confidence levels, etc. So you've got to cater for everybody. But we do have the speaker on. It's blurting out all sorts of awful tunes that either Chidi's <laughs> produced or something Levi's playing. But it's good fun. Um, our change room is a nice place to be. You've got someone with the therapy gun out that doesn't know what they're massaging and doesn't know why something hurts. <laughs> stinks of deep heat and sweat um people fight and it's just a horrendous place to be but it's, it's good crack and actually i i almost think i missed the change room in the band side of football more than actually playing itself it's, it's been something that everybody's missed um everybody hails whatsapp group chats for us all being able to stay together and have that crack outside of football because without that you're not a team you're just a group of lads yeah I, I mean i'm sure it's it's this way in the locker room but something i've noticed coming to seldom and I've, I've watched a few matches now and i've been you know at the ground and everything it is such a family experience. I mean, you've, you know, if you're part of the team, somebody that you know or you're related to is also a part of the team doing something behind the scenes or, or helping out on game day. That's got to be, that's got to be a lot of motivation for you as well, knowing that you've, you've got people there who, who are a part of this as well. It's not just you. Mm -hmm. 100%. Like if you, and that's not something that just happens at Southern. That's very much a theme of non-league because no one can employ anyone to do anything. So you do look to people close to you. Um, all of our girlfriends work behind the bar. They're always selling stuff and they, and they do it for free. They do it and they give up their time and it's and it's something that we are massively grateful for and it doesn't go unnoticed. Our club secretaries, Ash's missus, like Tyler's great. She does all of the paperwork. She does everything that we need. Obviously, what you don't see though is the people's families that don't come to football, the families that have to look after the kids of us while we're playing at football and, and they do get unnoticed until we have a, I don't know, an awards night where we all get to thank them and all that kind of cliche stuff. But it is worth taking time just to, just to thank people that you don't see at football and actually some of us have never met. Poor Rich's wife, either is the happiest woman or the saddest because he's never at home. Hmm. Um, poor Lindsay, I've never even met her. Nobody has. She might not even exist, Rich. Um, <laughs> but poor bloke, he's never there. Um, so there must be a massive sacrifice, not just for me, but for a lot of players that don't spend much time at home with their young ones, which is quite sad. We've got a few babies in the team now as well, so they yeah. all need looking after. Yeah. I, I think that's so cool, and I think that's a great part of, of mm -hmm. your team and non-league football in general, like you were saying. Um, kind of last to, to, to round out the section about Southam here, um, but I think very important is what are the goals? What's the way forward? You know, what what is the club aiming for? I'm not maybe, – maybe not talking this season or, or mm -hmm. you know, maybe mention that because that's that's important too, but five, ten years down the road, where where is this club going to be? Where does this club want to be? I, th I don't think there's ever been a, a set goal or – kind of a five-year plan for the club but I think it would be remiss to say that we weren't seeking for promotion after promotion I think that's that's the goal is to kind of be a step four step five football club and to play at good grounds and to play in front of good crowds and, and grow our things like this grow our social media um gr just grow who we are put Salvum on the map and actually get the people of Salvum back watching football we don't get loads of fans in because of the, of the relationship with the club because it's been rocky in the past Things are on the up. The mood is certainly happier. The mood is certainly better. And I'm hoping, and I think it will, I think that will reflect in our football. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, being being involved in the way that I am, which, you know, little as it is, but just from what I've seen, I think that there's a lot of, there is a lot of that. There's a lot of, you know, we're aiming high and, and we're going to get there, mm-hmm. which I think is very exciting. Yeah, I think the cl- uh, when you look at the club and you look at the facilities and you look even at the players' mentality and the staff and everything like that, the the one word that comes to mind is just potential. Like the, the club oozes potential. It could it has the facilities to go that so much higher, and and we just want people to see that come and watch us and and just enjoy what we've got to offer. Absolutely. All right, we're gonna move into. Uh, we're just gonna do a fun little quick fire round. I'm just gonna ask you some questions. Kind of the first thing that comes to mind. Um, but we do have Sophie here, so if I don't believe one of your answers, I'll, I, <laughs> I will be referring to her. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. If you're not at work or on the pitch, what are you doing? Uh, walking the dog or asking for bat tickles. Okay. What is your most used emoji? Uh, probably, you know, the weird emoji face that's kind of like got a wobbly mouth. Yeah, like... We're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's normally a Ben Tennant. That's a good one. Who controls the music in the locker room? It's very much a mixture. It depends who gets first, um, who kind of arrives first. But it's normally either Ben, Levi, me, sometimes Coxie, but Coxie gets a bit weird. Um, <laughs> so he gets shot off pretty quick because he's into kind of weird indie bands, which don't get you into football. Okay. So so moral of the story, get there first. Correct. And you get your music. Okay. Uh, you can only have one meal every day for the rest of your life. What would it be? Cereal. Cereal. Yeah, 100%. That's pretty easy. I live off Cocoa Pops. Um, I think I read in a match magazine when I was about 12 that um, my favourite footballer at that time, Stuart Downing, always ate Cocoa Pops before a game. And I think since then it's kind of lived rent free in my head. um, And I eat Cocoa Pops all the time. Sophie gets me them from Costco in big boxes. (laughs) Costco. (laughs) So good. Um, If you could sit down and interview one player or one manager, past, present, who would it be? Such a good question, but I think um, someone that had, was an enormous personality on and off football pitch was George Best. Um, didn't even play really while I was growing up watching football. He was long gone before then, but just seeing highlights of him on the pitch and how how he embraced playing football on horrendous surfaces and got absolute lumps kicked out of him um, <laughs> was a phenomenal footballer and an amazing personality off the football pitch. I think he's someone that I view as one of the best players ever um, on and off a football pitch. I think he was great. That's a great answer. Uh, it would be... Yeah, you could definitely definitely ask him some questions and learn something, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what job would you be terrible at? Oh, God. Um, probably law, being a lawyer or something. Yeah. I'm not a great arguer. I'm quite an agreeable person. Um, quite happy to say sorry, even if I'm not. Oh, that's good. That's um, a good quality to have. Other than maybe when we play football, I'm right and you're wrong and that's it. Okay, fair. All right. What habit would Sophie say is your worst? I, I bite my nails horrendously. I'm quite a nervous person. Uh, In terms of personal yeah, habits, nodding. that's kind of definitely worse. Um, probably weeing on the toilet seat is uh, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nodding as well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's every guy. Though. We're always going to complain it's about out that. There now. <laughs> uh, okay, so here you have to choose one. Explore the oceans, go to outer space, or visit 50 different countries. Easily visit outer space. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. The, it I, doesn't freak you out. No, I think okay. the, the new kind of images that are coming out of, of the Earth in its entirety are the, some of the coolest photos I've ever seen. The and I just love to see that. And one thing I can't get my head around is that we can send video sound footage from Mars, but I can't get a signal in Tesco. <laughs> yeah. 
it's true i i completely agree um top three favorite movies shawshank redemption Step Brothers, and oh all of the harry potters that i was gonna say i know you've been watching that what's your favorite harry potter movie i'm a big fan of all of them past goblet of fire including but i really like uh death of hallows part one yeah i i think that's my favorite yeah. as well guilty pleasure of mine for sure so building off of that who's worse voldemort or umbridge Oh, Umbridge, 100%. Yeah. I completely agree. Voldemort sticks to his morals. Yeah. You know, he knows what he's after and he, and he goes get it. And I've got a lot of time for that. But Umbridge <laughs> is there just to make people's lives a bit she's uncomfortable. She's horrible. And she's not being nice. <laughs> I completely agree with that. <laughs> uh, to your coffee. Coffee. Okay. Mocha, though. I'm a bit soft. I don't drink straight coffee. Okay, okay. Do you do iced coffee? I feel like that's not such a yeah, big thing. Yeah, frappuccinos. Here. When okay. they did them at McDonald's was a thing, but I think they stopped. Uh, okay. Who's the best dancer in the squad? Oh, we've seen some serious shapes in Leamington. I think um, Ben's definitely up there. So's Kyle. Kyle likes to take his top off, though, which is weird. Okay. Pat okay. just gets real funky, but I think Chiddy's got the best rhythm. Okay. He brings some real rhythm to the squad. You're He's not good. up there? You haven't Absolutely mentioned yourself? Not. Okay. I'm a dad dancer without <laughs> good kids. Good to know. Uh, last one. I think this is a good one. I'm interested. You're in a bind. Who from the team do you call? What's that? What's a bind? Like... Well, it could be a multiple, multiple different things, but like either I'm thinking you've, you've ended up in jail somehow <laughs> and you have to call someone to come and get you out or like prove to them that you're innocent This question or is so easy to answer. Yeah. Okay. This, go for it. Then. This is my vice captain and what a bloke this guy is. Ben Tennant is one of the best blokes I've probably ever met, but also one of the dodgiest people on the planet. So, <laughs> so, so he's maybe, so he's maybe not helping you get out in the, in the conventional sense, but he's maybe breaking you out. He is really maybe what you're break saying. me out or yeah. know someone that could get me out. Because I know you've been watching a lot of prison breaks, oh, so, yeah, so you've got ideas, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, 100%. He, he, he's the brawn. Um, I would say on the brains, but that's probably a bit modded, but kind of, you know, <laughs> not a bit vain, but um, Ben's great. Uh, it, I think he's, he'd do anything for anybody and I think if you rang him at three in the morning he'd answer because he'd probably be awake definitely be out um, <laughs> so if you needed anything he'd be definitely at the top of the list for people to come save my life okay good to know behind yes. Sophie hopefully well yeah but she doesn't play for us so. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> she's sleeping 3am well maybe she's not I don't know the dog the dog keeps yeah, us awake true. Um, okay well that that's everything we have I know that um you know, you wanted to, to say something to the supporters who are going to be uh, listening to this and, and kind of uh, watching the team and, and, well, not being able to watch the team initially, but but there will be a time when finally fans are allowed back in, in, in the stadium. Um, what do you want to say to them in, in preparation kind of for that? Just want to say, as a, as a team of players, we cannot wait to see everybody. We can't wait to be playing in front of you all again. I know that we're not allowed to straight away, but all of us feel the same. We all, all love you to bits. We all love you being there. And we all really value your time and, and, and what you do for our football club. But for people that haven't come to watch us yet, we plead that you do. We plead that you come and watch us um, and see what we're about. Get to know us. We'll happily stop and talk to you and stuff. We are just very normal people that just want to play good football at a good ground. Um, thank you to everybody that's seen past the club struggles um, and put in the time to still support us. Thank you to the entire Champions family um, and everybody else that's just spent so much time in our football club um, helping out, making things work. Um, and making it who we are today and I'm really looking forward to as a captain as part of this football team seeing it grow and it becoming a real project that actually we can look back on and go in we did that we invested our time in that and um, I'm really looking forward to sharing that journey with you guys fantastic 
Awesome. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and have a chat. Um, really share a lot of great information about yourself, about the club. Uh, I know you're probably dying to get back out there and, and, and see the guys and get training started and then uh, hopefully very soon be getting involved and, and back out on the pitch yourself. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Uh, and for everyone else, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Don't forget, um, for more episodes, announcements, great videos, content, make sure you follow us on all of our social media. We're on Facebook, uh, on, our, on our supporters page. Uh, we're on Instagram. It's it's at Southam United. Um, we're going to be on YouTube as well. Uh, TikTok, we're, we're kind of all over the place. So wherever you get your, your social at, um, we'll be there. And also wherever you get your podcast at, um, look out for more episodes. So we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.